Good morning. Good to have everybody here. And if you did not get a bulletin, please make sure you get one because we have songs and everything laid out there in the bulletin. We also have some announcements, uh, but we want you to participate and be a part of worship and not just uh, watch or follow along. So if I can take just a moment and go over a few announcements, you'll see them in your bulletin. I won't go through every one of them. Let me just remind you, if you did not bring your box for shoe boxes today, we have one more week. Next week is the week we want to make sure we have them collected by. And uh, several questions have been asked. I will do my best quickly to say, yes, you can bring shoe boxes. Uh, if you're making checks out, please put them right in the box. They don't come to our church uh, to do all that. You can just put them right in the box, close it up, and send it off. Um, if you're not doing a shoe box and you just want to make a donation, um, I say this box. You could just bring a check and do that, but ask someone else, and we've done this before, just open a box and put it in there because all of that is going to go to the center. They will go through every box if you've never seen this before. When we ship them, we pack them, we put them in boxes, and then they go to the center down in a few places, and they will literally unpack everything, go through everything, get to the right. Sure, it's right. So if you just uh, looking for a way to do a check, just put it in the shoebox, and it will get to the right place um, to do that. But yeah, if you haven't made one yet, we encourage you to do that. Uh, also, uh, next Sunday, we will have our missionary. The, uh, you'll see him in here, Satachi Kawachi. He's going to come. He's one of our missionaries, and it'll just be the evening service. That's what we mean. We'll meet, open in prayer, and maybe sing a song, and then we're going to hand it over to him and let him share uh, his mission with us and what it is that he is doing in his family serving. So if you're available, we'd love to have you come and listen to him and to be a part of the mission time while he is serving. It's one of our missionaries that we support uh, here as well. So, But you'll see the other uh, announcements that are in there. Pay attention if you're on the food ministry for the next Saturday as they share the appreciation dinner for that, the decking the halls. We try to put all that in there, and we also send out an email. So... Sometimes if it's not in the bulletin, it's because we print the bulletins usually by Thursdays, and then sometimes we have other announcements that come in that we send out, so it's electronic. So when you see your electronic bulletin, don't be afraid to look at that as well, because sometimes there's information there that's not necessarily always in the bulletin, and so we appreciate you doing that as well. But we're glad that you're here, and uh, we want you to worship with us. If you're visiting, please fill out a guest card. We'd like you to fill that out, put it in the offering plate later in the service, or put it on one of the tables in the back, the welcome table, so we'll have a record of your visit. All in the back of that is also a prayer card, and that's not just for guests or visitors. We want even our members, if you have a prayer card or a prayer request you'd like to fill out, please do that. Put it in the offering plate, and uh, we'll see that, and we'll know exactly how it is that you want us to pray. And so later in the service, as I pray, we'll bring those up as well. But we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you came to worship with us. And as we get started this morning, I've asked Brother David if he would come, open us in prayer, and uh, call us to worship. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this new day, this uh, Sabbath, to meet together in worship and praise unto you. We worship you, Father and Son and Holy Spirit, and know that wherever two or three are gathered in your name, that there you are in the midst, and that you are meeting with us here this morning. We ask your blessing on all this hour. Bless our brother Jerry as he brings the message this morning uh, from your holy word. And we pray that all that we say and do and the meditations in our hearts will be pleasing to you. Bless this hour, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Let's stand for the uh, call to worship, and it's printed for you in your bulletin from Psalm 22. Come and seek and praise the Lord. Come, all the ends of the earth, turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall come and worship the Lord. Maybe seated and uh, take just a moment and before Pastor David comes to confess in faith and lead in the offering, let's take a moment and pray with one another um, and then I'll invite you to pray with me the Lord's Prayer. You will see uh, a list of the prayers that we have in our bulletin 
Again, I remind you, if you would like to be listed in there, please call the office, and Christy will be glad to work with you and get that in there and to keep up and at least let you know. But uh, we don't want to have prayer requests in the bulletin that are months and months old that are already done and over with, and people are still praying for that. So please keep us updated. Um, I do know this morning, as I'll share, that Mitzi Wicker, if you didn't know, she is uh, going to be transferred to the Crofton area, hopefully, and do rehab. So just an update on that if you're being a part of that. I did have a chance to visit with several others and catch up with uh, Byron and Robbie and spend time praying with her and just continue to pray for her and her recovery. And uh, they are all so thankful for everyone who has gone to sit and to just share and to just fellowship. And so the Compassion Team has just done a, a fabulous job. We want to say thanks to the Compassion Team. Uh, if you didn't know how that came about, uh, Paula came in and we have deacons that were trying to minister or through service and help those. And the women's ministry had a compassion team of women that were trying to help. And uh, Paula is smart sometimes. And she came up here and she, she knows I'm teasing her and said, let's merge those. And so our compassion team was now actually put together from the ministry of deacons and the ministry of women. Get place how they work together, whether it's sitting with somebody, taking food to people, helping them get places. And so if you are looking for a ministry and have a heart of compassion and want to just minister to others, please let them know. And uh, what a blessing it is for them to be able to minister to one another. And so we'll keep you up to date, but let's take a moment and let me lead us to the throne of grace and pray for our congregation, and then if you would join me uh, in the Lord's Prayer together. Heavenly Father, we come to you before this throne of grace, knowing uh, that it is here we find help in the time of need. It is here that we find assurance in the time when we've been shaken. It's here that we find courage when we find ourselves in fear. It's always in your presence that we find the answers that we need. And so, Lord, I pray this morning as we begin to lift up others, that we would begin with ourselves. So, Lord, we would take just a moment in our hearts and our minds and to, to come before you and say, please make yourself known. Uh, come to us. Reveal your presence to us. Uh, Lord, bring us that assurance and confidence as we go forward. Lord, we're so um, excited about uh, hearing the overcoming of surgeries and through treatments and for those who have been through rehab. Lord, it's, it's a wonder when we see uh, that you help us through those circumstances and trials. And yet, Lord, we're faithful to continue praying for those who are still going through treatment, for those who are awaiting treatments, for discoveries of, of ailments and for tests. Lord, we, we just pray for them. We pray for those in our congregation who need the patience to wait on you. Lord, the hardest part is just waiting on you, finding out what it is that you're actually allowing to take place in our hearts, in our minds, in our bodies. Lord, I lift up this morning the many who are making decisions in their own careers, their own paths, the choices they need to make, whether it's dealing with retirement or whether it's dealing with a new career or whether it's dealing with a, a whole new move. Lord, I, I pray that you'll sustain them. I pray this morning for safety as Nellie Backus and her nephew travel across the country uh, to South Dakota as she moves to, to be with her sister and family, uh, a whole new beginning at this stage in life. Lord, I pray that you'll just provide the way and provide safety. Lord, here this morning, I do pray that you'll raise up teachers. Lord, as we need assistance to help and to provide for our teachers when they're sick and they're in need and uh, just need support, Lord, I pray that you'll 
Uh, show us the need where we could serve and support the church there. Lord, most importantly, we're just here to worship. Father, help us to set aside the things of this world, the important things that we've already planned for the rest of the day that we should have set off, and help us to just spend the time with you in the mercy ministries, in the service of others, so that we might see you work. And Lord, again, we know that we haven't earned the right to ask this. We've done nothing to deserve the right to be in your presence. But through your son, he has taken our place, taken our sin. He's torn the veil and given us access that we could boldly come together and pray as you taught us, saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's been a blessing to have David here just in the short time that he's already been here to help out and uh, to use his gifts to help minister. And so he's going to come this morning and lead us. So it's my joy to lead you in uh, confessing what we believe in every church we have served. Uh, we have had the uh, Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, uh, and the confession as well to confess. And that's an important part of worship because what is the church? Paul says the pillar and ground of the truth. And so it's important to know the trellis summary of what the Bible teaches about God and who he is and what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. And so let's use uh, this morning question 151 of the larger catechism, and I'll ask the question, and then we'll all respond with the answer. What sins are more evil because of the harm that results from them? Our old sins become more harmful from those who commit the sins if they are older, have a longer experience of God's grace, are well known for their faith, clearly know better, hold a prominent position or office, are teachers, and whose example will influence others. Sins are also more harmful from those sinned against, if directly against God, his attributes and worship, against Christ and his grace, against the Holy Spirit, his witness and work, against those above us, prominent men, and especially those to whom we are related or owe allegiance, and against any fellow believer, particularly those who are weaker in the faith, their souls or anyone else's, and the general good of everyone. The ushers now will come forward. We'll pray. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this opportunity to give. We thank you for all the many blessings that you have bestowed upon us. All good and perfect gifts are from you. And how we thank you most of all for the gift of eternal life that is ours in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you as well, Father, for this fall, this season of harvest, and to remember the blessings that you have given us through the year. And uh, we thank you. And give you praise in a tangible way now through the giving of these tithes and offerings. 
And we pray that you bless not only the gift, but the giver as well. In Jesus' name, amen. While you're standing, if you'd join together with me as we prepare to sing and worship before the word and confess our sins together, if you would join me in the privilege of being able to share together at the throne of grace. Father in heaven, we confess that our hearts do not always bow in true devotion, that you are not always present in our thoughts. We confess that your truth does not always shine within us that our lips do not always sing your praise. Father, we confess our faith needs to be increased, that our sins need to be forgiven, that our hearts need circumcised, and our minds need true repentance. Grant these to us, Father, so we can worship in spirit and truth and sing praises here in this place. Amen. And from Colossians chapter 2, as in many other places, we find assurance of grace and pardon. Paul writes, In you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside and nailing it to the cross. Our sins have been covered. They have been uh, cleared in the blood of Christ, and we are able to worship in spirit and truth. Let's do that as we sing together. It was finished on that cross and not in me.
seated. And thanks again for our musicians and choir. We appreciate them helping lead us uh, in worship this morning. I want to encourage you to turn to Mark chapter 6, and uh, we're finishing up uh, end of a chapter, and uh, I don't know if I was being pressured or not. I know this past week, Brother Steve was sharing with me, the men are going to be getting another book for the next spring term. We're already looking forward. Men, if you are not in the Bible study and would like to be a part, we'll be picking out the new book and uh, picking out what the topic will be for the spring as we finish up where we are now. And I don't know how to take it sometimes. Steve Weber was coming to me and the men. I know sometimes it takes a while, but Steve said, well, we're going to pick a topic, but all just to base upon how much longer you have in Mark. And I thought to myself, and I thought, okay, are you telling me to speed up and get through this? Are you telling me this is taking too long? And I said, well, you know, it's probably going to be a while in Mark. I'm just in chapter 6. And I kind of heard a sigh. It goes, oh, okay. And uh, so, men, please don't pick the book of Mark because I probably won't be done here in a few months. Um, but I'm enjoying going through Mark, the, this gospel of action uh, with Jesus. And here this morning in the last part of chapter 6, I want to take the two instances together so that I can show you the importance of why Jesus was really doing things amongst his children, his people. And so let me read, and then we'll come back to it. I entitled it, How Many Signs Does It Take? I'm blending this with the Gospel of John because they share the stories and also the usage of the terms. But how many signs does it take until you finally get the hint? Here, here's what Mark writes. Immediately... Jesus had his disciples, verse 45 of chapter 6, get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida while he himself dismissed the crowd. And after saying goodbye to them, he left for the mountain to pray. And when it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land and seeing them straining at the oars for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought that it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they had all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them, and he said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped. And they were utterly astonished. For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. And then he continues, verse 53, and when they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret and moored at the shore. And when they had got out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him, that's Jesus, and ran about the entire country and began carrying here and there on their pallets those who were sick to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he entered the villages, the cities, or the countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces, imploring him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak. And all who touched 
it were being healed. Just how many times is Jesus going to have to do something in your life before you realize what he's really trying to accomplish? Jesus is not here just to do miracles. He is not here just to put on a show. He is not just walking to cover and give us a direction. There is a reason that Jesus came. And we might know that because we are told in Scripture that he came that we might be what? Saved. That's the whole point of what Jesus is doing. And as he's traveling through the villages and the towns, he's finding those people that God has called to himself. And so Jesus even says, I will not lose any of them. As they come to the Father, I will be faithful and they will be saved. I will do what is necessary for them to be saved. I asked you this morning before I even start, if I could put you on the spot and say, are you saved? Now, I'm not questioning those of you who are. I could ask again, what did it take for you to be saved? How many signs did it take? And what about those that you're praying for and reaching out to? How many signs will you help them with? You see, the story begins to unfold because here we are told immediately Jesus sent the disciples off. It's a word that is actually used. He pushes them. He gets them in the boat. It's like he fed the 5,000. They've now been fed. It's getting late. They've done their thing. And now you guys go, 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 go. Get out of here. Everybody's questioned why. We don't really get the answer. You could combine the several stories together. But as the crowd becomes together and begins to mount around him, there's this understanding that what's really happening is that the people are coming to Jesus as they have before, wanting a warrior king. And they begin to realize that this could be the one that could rise up and go against the authorities. And this could be the one who could deliver them from the oppression that they have physically in where they are living. This could be the guy, and especially now... This could be him, the time we could mount together. And there is this understanding in some writers that would say the reason Jesus has pushed them off so quickly is he doesn't want the disciples to even be a part of that type of discussion. Because Jesus did not come to be a warrior king. He did not come to overthrow and rise up against the Roman authorities and take their place. He came to be the savior of the world. He came to be a witness to his father. He came to reveal who God really is. So it's important as we go through the story to realize that as Jesus shoved them aside and put them on the boat, he immediately went to pray, which in Mark's story is great because we only get three times that we're told Jesus prays. And every time they're in situations in which Jesus has found himself also, if you wish, in a trial, some situation. Here in this story, it's where he's praying because he's going to be faced with, do you really want to come be a warrior king? Are you going to give in and come on and take over the authorities? Or are you going to continue to do what God wants you to do? And Mark tells us he goes to pray. It also happened before he chose the disciples. When he was getting ready to follow through and go forward to, to serve his father, he went up to pray before he chose the men that he would have with him. And we also get it at the crucifixion right before he's crucified when he spends time together alone praying. Almost as if Mark is telling us that Jesus himself, unlike uh, us in righteousness and being perfect, but like us and being tempted in every way possible, finds the opportunity to always demonstrate the importance of spending time with the Father and staying focused on his will. Always the temptation to follow the plans of someone else to do something different, and to not follow the Father. 
And so all of a sudden in solitude and prayer, he finds, if you wish, the confirmation. And then he looks up to see the compassion on the disciples, no different than when he saw the compassion on the 5,000. I like that part. Because sometimes I think we see as servants that God is always looking to find compassion on those on the outside. And we don't realize that he has just as much compassion for those of us that are with him. And he sees our needs. He knows our hurts. And it is in this story that Mark all of a sudden packs in everything that we have seen and heard about who this Jesus is. And it wasn't just coming because he's walking on water. It's an amazing event because as the story unfolds, Jesus looks out there when it is evening. We're using the Roman time, four segments of time. Jewish was in thirds. So he's using that understanding. It's three to six o'clock in the morning on the fourth watch, if you wish, in the Roman understanding. So he's prayed a long time. And he gets done praying. Jesus was just went just a quick moment, run up to the hill and say, hey, just check it in. Father, make sure we're still on good terms. Everything's good. Hey, I did all right. I'm ready to go do some more. He spent hours praying and then looked up and saw the disciples struggling. This is what it says in the middle of the sea, seeing them straining on the oars, which is the same word that we get in the understanding of struggling, if you wish, with torment. This wasn't just he looked over with his ability to see across the lake and know this where, hey, these guys are getting tired. These were guys now about to lose it. They were frustrated. They were tired. They were angry. Why in the world did he send us here? Maybe we could jump in as some would say a fly on a wall or a fish beside the boat. I'm not sure the understanding, but if we could have just heard the conversation Man, why didn't you just, why didn't you just stop all that? Why are we here? Man, we can't even get across the lake. This is too much. I'm already tired. We're doing this all night long. Is he going to come? Are we doing this by ourselves? Are we supposed to go? And you could just hear it, and the wind was winning, and the boat was stalling, and it wasn't making it. And in compassion, this is where the story picks up. Mark wants us to see Jesus showing compassion and meeting the needs of his servants in a time of distress. And how does he do that? How does he accomplish this when he's already done so much in front of them and they still don't understand? How many of you can look backward over the last 30 days and say, I realize now God's been working in my life? Or have you lived a whole month and haven't recognized the Lord's presence at all? Maybe three months. It's amazing how we go on with life and we just assume that as Christians we just go on day by day and once we're saved, that's all it takes. And now we're on our path and we're on our own. And that's not how God works. He's constantly revealing himself to us. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We have that agent of power, that comfort. We have all that we need to go forward. And that still doesn't replace God's presence constantly being made known to us, reassuring us. And so here's the story that takes place. He comes out to them, epitestalasis. You can circle that in your Greek New Testament that you have with you this morning. 
Because that is the word that simply says on top of. There's no other way to translate it in the Greek. There is no other way to hide that Jesus comes walking on top of Thalassus the water. He wasn't in the water. He wasn't coming through the water. He didn't come by way of water. He simply came, and the only way to translate it is on the water. And some have even said on top of, because that's the phrase that is used in Greek. All of a sudden, we get an instance where Jesus is walking on top of water. And if you don't understand it, it's a reference back to the Old Testament. It's a reference to the week that only God walks on what? Water. The scene is already being set in Mark's mind. We have this man who's been doing all these miracles, and now he shows up to the men, which they don't know yet, and he's doing the very thing that only God is known to do. And it scares them to death. Even uses the word, you know, the word that is used here uh, for ghosts, if you wish, is only used one other time in the New Testament, and it's in the Matthew story that's doing the same event. It's the only time the word is even brought up. These guys are like making up words of their own. They were so scared when something showed up. Actually, some have actually translated the word at times as demons. Because if you remember when the storm was raging and Jesus was casting out demons, there was the understanding that demons actually lived where? In the oceans and in the waves. And Jesus would cast them out. So Jesus shows up to his own people here, if you wish, disciples and Here's the amazing part of the story. He's doing what only God can do, as though he's trying to convince the disciples after all the miracles that have gone on so far in the book of Mark, when are you guys finally going to get it? How much is it going to take for me to do for you to finally realize who I really am and the power that you have residing right beside you? Sometimes I think to myself, how long will it take you? Before you realize you don't have to live like everybody else. You don't have to give in to the ways of the world. You don't have to rise up and compete with everybody else. You've been chosen by one who is of the almighty, all-knowing creator of heaven and earth. And he sent his only son himself in the flesh to grasp that. And himself fills our hearts. We call it a trinity. He shows up, and here's the amazing part of the story. Circle this. He came to them walking on the sea, and something that has confounded so many, he intended to pass them by. Now, why in the world would he pass them by? They're struggling. They're actually in torment of the word. They're actually about ready to give up. They're frustrated. They don't understand what took place back at the past. We learn that in the story. They're completely confused at times. They just, just about lost themselves, thought it was a ghost. And Jesus tells us, or Mark does, that he intended to just pass them by. And if it was Jesus' intent, which I think it was, to actually reveal himself to the disciples so that they could find encouragement and strength and who's really in control. It's not some warrior king that can be established to overthrow things, but it would be the one who later on, we understand, would run all things through this meekness of a true kingship at the right hand of the Father.
How does he reveal himself so they'll understand? Well, I have to take you back to the Old Testament and what is known as theophanies, God revelations, God awarenesses. It's the time in which God reveals himself to us in ways so that we know it's him and it's truly him, and he makes himself known to us. And if you go back into the Old Testament, you can begin with all kinds of different revelations God has. But in special awarenesses, it is Exodus chapter 33. I'll let you read the story. When God is dealing with Moses, and Moses wants to know the assurance of God, and he wants to see his glory, and he wants to have a part of who God is. And God says, well, you can't see me. Nobody can see the face of God and what? And live. But do you remember the story there at Mount Sinai? He said, okay, Moses, hide yourself in the cleft of this rock. Now catch this, the same phrase in Mark, translated from Hebrew into Greek in the Old Testament. He says, Moses, hide yourself, put to this, and I will bring my glory down, and I will what? Pass you by. And you will get a chance to see God. And know that he is real without seeing him. This is God. Do you believe Jesus is God? It makes the stories all come to life when we realize it's not just there. It also happened in the stories. You could go back to Genesis 15 when all of a sudden Abraham was making a covenant with God. And they were taking the animals, do you remember, and putting them on each side. And they were going to enter into a covenant together. And when Abraham fell asleep, do you remember what happened? The glory of the Lord, what? Passed by and entered into a covenant so that his glory would be made known. It was Elijah, if you wish, in the same stories that we go through. You can go to 1 Kings chapter 19 when we could read the story. And first it was the wind and it was the rains and it was the storms and it was all came by. But it wasn't until the still, small voice that God let his glory pass by. In other words, I think what Jesus is saying to us is in the middle of the trials and what's happening on this lake is not just a visit of the boat to come and walk on water. It's God in the flesh, and he's about ready to reveal his glory the same way he has done it consistently throughout Scripture. He's about to pass right by, and they're going to look up and get a glimpse of the glory of God revealed to the one and only Son in the flesh, Jesus Christ. That's why they thought it was a ghost. I ask you, what would you do if the glory of God just floated right by you? What would you think it was? You see, the disciples, needing this understanding, realize that Jesus is making himself known. In what other way possible? How do we know that this is true? He said, Pastor Jerry, how do you come up with that? How do you know that the glory of God is passing by? How do you know it's Jesus claiming to be God so that his disciples would know them? Well, listen to what the story says. Not only did he did that, he walking them by. Instead, they cried out for him, so they had come to him, and he gets into the boat. In the distress of looking up to see the glory of God, they get an opportunity, if you wish, to see the only Son of God in his glory shining forth who God is. And it would only happen as he passed by. And instead, he stops and he comes to them. And the only 
God of Israel, unknowable to us, if you wish, in the Old Testament, almighty creator of all things, passing by, if you wish, in Jesus. John would say it this way, who do you claim to be? He would declare in the gospel of John, he is the son of God. Mark doesn't declare it, Mark wants to show it. Mark is the gospel of action. He's taking us right back to it. Oh, I don't have to say anything. You can just see who this is. That this is the same one acting in the same way as he's done throughout the Old Testament. He wants to reveal to us who he is so that you don't have to live in fear. That you will place your faith in him so that you will trust in him and no one else. Just how many signs is it going to take until you realize God wants you? He's trying to reveal himself to you. Pastor, where did you get that? Listen to what it says. He picks it up in the verses of the story. They were terrified, but immediately he spoke with them, and he said, take courage. Now, I don't care about the word take courage, and I don't care about the words that say do not be afraid. I want you to highlight it is I. Because that is the same translation Translated from Yahweh in the Old Testament to the New Testament Greek when Moses asked God, who is it that I say sent me? And do you remember what God said? You tell them that I am sent you. Do you know what this actually says in the Greek right here? It is I. It says, ego I me. I am. You could write that in your Bibles because it's the exact same translation that when Jesus got into the boat, Mark is saying, well, he said to them, don't worry, it is I. What he really says in the Greek is, don't worry, I am. He's using the exact same name that was used for Yahweh. He's using the same thing in John when they claimed, who do you claim to be? And he said, I am. And they wanted to stone him because they knew he was claiming to be who? God. Folks, this is a story of not just walking on water and having some miracle done that we can prove. This is Jesus saying in an utmost sense, I am he. I am God. I am the one that can do this. I am here to rescue you. I am here to save you. What more is it going to take, you could almost ask. And so when he gets in the boat, we find this. It's not just the I am here. It's the I am all through the gospel of John. That's why we use it. In the gospel of John, do you remember the great I am sayings? Have you ever studied those? Do you remember when we were told by John that Jesus came and he said, I am the what? I am the bread of life. No one comes to me and hungers. Later on, he tells them that I am the light of the world. I am the gate, the doorkeeper. I am the good shepherd. I am the I am in the flesh. Why do we believe so strongly in the Trinity? Because throughout our scriptures that we take as truth, Jesus is simply claiming the exact same thing God did. From Yahweh, the Tetragomenon, the name that cannot be pronounced, is translated into the Greek of the ego I me. I am. And sometimes in the midst of your struggles and trials and you don't know what happens and you're scared to death and God shows up to you, 
oh, it's not I am he and I am here and I am there with you and I can help you. I think sometimes he whispers like he did to Elijah in the still small voice that just simply says what? I am. You called? I am. I am. The one that was so unknowable, so separated, so off from the rest of the world is now made present. Even so much so that in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, we are told that we beheld the glory of the only begotten of God, full of grace and truth. For in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was there in the beginning with God. John 1.14 makes it clear, and the Word became what? Flesh. That's what is happening on the lake. That's why the, they're so scared. That's why this was such a tremendous thing. Because the glory of God was sweeping down across the tops of the water. And it was changing all of reality. Because the one who we could never see face to face is now saying, look at me. I am he. I am. And it changes all of life when we realize why they're so dumbfounded. What a word to use. Scared. Horrified. They were dumbfounded. And the reason that is used is because they even missed this, folks. They missed the presence of the Almighty God who has passed by Moses, passed by Abraham, passed by Elijah, passed by on the water. He's done all kinds of miracles. He's done all sorts of things to help us understand who he really is. And they missed the presence of Jesus. They missed being saved, if you wish, because of their own deliverance. Sometimes when you cry out to God in prayer, I think we miss him because we're too interested in looking for what we prayed for rather than just listening to him say, okay, I am. Maybe sometimes just being with Jesus is what he wants you to know. Not always just getting what you want. And here we find it Hearts that are callous, listen to what it says. They did not understand and they were astonished for they had not gained any insight from the event. Folks, do you hear what Mark is saying? They just watched this guy feed 5,000 and nobody else in the crowd may have even known. But those disciples, each one of them who picked up their own basket of extras, they saw where this came from. They saw who did this and they saw there is no way possible this could happen. They couldn't do it themselves. You know the story. And they gained nothing from it. They were clueless. I remember years ago when Michael Fox was in a movie about the future movies. Do you remember those? And when I read this passage, I just wanted to go like this. Come on, McFly. Come on, McFly. I wanted to just knock on it. Like, how could you miss this? How could you not know? Look at what all he's doing around you. And I could say the same thing in your own life. Come on, man. Don't you see what he's done with your children? Come on. Don't you see how he's answered your prayer? Don't you see how he's walked beside you? Don't you see how he's opened the doors? Can't you see how he's worked through your neighbors? And can't you see how your church is done? And it's almost like he's going, come on, McFly. What else? What more signs do I need to do? 
for you to know that it is I. I am. We could go down the list. Christ is right there with them, folks. He jumps in the boat. The wind stops. And we're told they just didn't get it. Five thousands. He's walked on water. He calmed the storms. He ceased or, or, or caused a lot of the people that were sick to be healed. He called all the people in diseases to be cured. He healed those that were lame. He cast out the demons. He stopped the storms. I mean, I could go back just the countless stories of just the book of Mark. And now he steps into the boat, stops the wind, and even says, I am. And they don't get it. And we're told why. Because their hearts were hardened. They missed the blessing of Christ because their hearts were hardened. I wonder what you've been through. Let's just say this last year. That's got you so frustrated, so tormented, so at odds, so indebased and so hurt that Jesus has crawled right up into bed next to you at nights to say, I am here. And you can't even feel his presence. Callousness. The problem is not intelligence. These were sharp people. Think about it. They made their living, some of them, on the water. And yet they were scared to death when this guy comes on the water. It's not intelligence. Mark this down in the back of your minds. Do you know why we miss Christ? It's not because we're not intelligent. It's not intelligence at all. It's sinfulness. It's our sinfulness and our callousness that hinders so much of our discipleship. Not the trials, not the circumstances. Man, we can overcome just about anything, but when the heart gets callous and the sinfulness turns it hard, we don't even recognize when Jesus is right there with us. Nothing but the grace of God can do this. This is a story not of the disciples crying out to Jesus. This is a story of Jesus reaching out to the disciples. The disciples didn't call out to him. The disciples didn't do anything until Jesus shows up. He's the one that saw their need. What a wonderful picture that Mark paints. That he's the one that comes to the disciples in need. He's the one that demonstrates the grace no different than when God reaches down to us, convicts us with the Holy Spirit. Folks, we're all callous and hard until the Holy Spirit changes our hearts, softens them. Jeremiah writes it, and I'm sure he understood when he said, Father, we need hearts not of stone but of flesh. This morning I challenge you, let the Holy Spirit soften your heart. I'm not saying just to be saved, I think some of the most bitter people I've met in my life are Christians. Being saved is one thing, but experiencing the presence of God 
his comfort and his compassion and his care. We have a lot of Christians that are living miserably because they're so caught up in trying to gain what they want for themselves. They're not able to experience what God has for them. And how do we know that God is so compassionate, caring? Well, he doesn't give up on them. And I think that's why Mark immediately gives us the next story. Because we know that salvation comes not just by seeing Jesus or hearing about Jesus. It doesn't come just by being around those who've been with Jesus. Being saved is a faith. It's a decision. It doesn't automatically just appear. It doesn't just arise just by growing up in a Christian home and being in a godly church. doesn't mean it just happens that you all of a sudden understand everything. It is a decision to follow Jesus Christ. It's a choice that must be made. It's repentance. It's with the mind. There comes a point in which you have to say, now that I see what God has done, I choose that. I want that. And I don't want just the miracles, and I don't want to just follow. I want what he has. I want that salvation. I want that eternity. I want to spend eternity with the Father. It's a choice. Faith is a choice of reaching out and saying, I know it's only because of him. I want to be with what he has. And Mark immediately gives us the next story. Where instead of giving up on the disciples and all they missed, he simply does another one and goes into the surrounding villages and lets the disciples see that anyone who would come with faith can be healed. And here's why I love this story. How do you know, pastor, that it was Jesus trying to be God? Well, he walked on water like only God could do. Well, how do you know he wanted to reveal himself? Well, because he was going to pass by just like the glory of God has done. Well, how do you know that he wasn't doing something else? Well, because he claimed I am, the exact same phrases of who God is. Well, how do you know he wants us to be saved? Well, because, folks, all that touched the fringe of his cloak were being healed. Underline that word healed. Look into your text in the word sozo, which is translated so many times in the New Testament as the word saved. They were coming to Jesus, and you could literally write the word, and they were being what? Saved. Jesus comes across the tops of the water, just as only God can do. Passes by so that we get a glimpse of the only begotten revealed in flesh. Claims to be the one and only. And then those who reach out in faith find salvation. Now, I don't know about you, but how many more signs is it going to take for you to be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that in one wonderful segment, Mark makes it so clear that this was a story of you reaching down to those you love. This wasn't about the crowds reaching out to you. This was about you going to them, you coming to us. 
just as you came to us in your son, Jesus Christ, just as you revealed your own glory wrapped in swaddling clothes, that we could behold it. And yet, Lord, you told us many, many, many people did not see it, that they were blinded by the darkness, that their eyes have not been opened, and their hearts are hardened. Lord, I pray this morning more than anything else that your Holy Spirit would soften the hearts of people, that he would bring conviction of our need for you, and that we would cry out in faith, we want to be saved. Father, I don't want to just see miracles, and I don't want to just see wonders. I want to see eternity with you. I want to be saved to the praise and glory of your name. Amen. If you have opportunity, you can turn in your hymn books with me to hymn number 441 and stand together with me as we prepare to sing our closing hymn, 441, Jesus Shall Reign. Let's sing that together.
you would receive the benediction before I give it, let me remind you, we do have the uh, Christianity and Liberalism class going on with Ken Abbott. I'll be doing some more stuff on the contentment class and uh, living for Christ. And we also have the ladies class in Peter. So we have several opportunities if you'd like to stay with us. But if you would receive a benediction, may the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his countenance toward you and give you peace. And all God's children said, have a great Lord's day.